This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. This is a uniquely challenging message. I've given messages like this many times. This is actually one of the key themes, I would say, that would define my spiritual life. And yet, for whatever reason, I feel like uh, as I've approached it this go-around, I have so many questions for the scriptures that I'm hesitant to tell you what those questions are, lest you demand them of this message, uh, the answers, uh, because certain things, I feel like it's a territory that is beyond... uh, my level uh, so far as a, as a believer. I'm constantly growing in my understanding of prayer. I'm constantly growing in my understanding of how to deal with the spiritual uh, realm in which we live. And yet I still feel very much a novice, especially as I approach uh, this particular topic. I was meeting with the practicum students before this, and there was a story that sort of accidentally came out. And the reason it was fresh in my mind is I've been walking through Uh, with my kids, uh, all sorts of stories from my past. Leslie and I are going through just our testimony to them, and this has been a long period of time with a lot of stories. And one of the stories that came out was about a a man named Myron. I was uh, in uh, New Orleans uh, in a halfway house. Uh, I was ministering. I wasn't being ministered to in that halfway house. And uh, it was an extremely challenging situation. Uh, There was all sorts of uh, troubled people in this house, and even the team I was with was a bit troubled, Uh, and so we were were quite a, there was a lot of drama, let's just put it that way, and God was working on me in this time. There was one particular uh, man there named Myron that uh, had serious issues. He, I, I don't think I saw him sober the entire while I was there. And he smelled of filth. That's the best way to quickly describe it. He was not desirable to be around. And yet, I was wanting to know the love of Jesus for the unlovely. And so I was asking God to give me his heart for Myron. And so in the, in the process of going through this, God was also touching on me and how he gave his very best to reach me, an unlovely one. And what would I be willing to give to Myron? And so I had a sweatshirt, it was purple and gray, and uh, I loved that, it had a hood on it, and I mean, it was a great sweatshirt, I wore it all the time, and God sort of put his finger on that, and that became my gift to Myron, and so I wrapped it up, another girl on the team was inspired by this, and so she took her favorite thing, which was her Walkman, at the time, there used to be things called Walkmans, I don't even know if that company still exists, and... uh, she wrapped it up and we set it on the counter where he would come in every night and put a little note on the top that said Myron. And uh, what was interesting is we were watching, waiting for him to get home. He came home and he walked right by it, didn't even see it. And so I came, I was like, hey, Myron, uh, you know, what's this over here? And he looks down at it. He's like, it's a gift. Uh, It's a present. 
And I said, who's it for? And he looks at it and says, Myron. And I go, do you know anyone named Myron? He goes, no, no. I go, and what's your name? He goes, Myron. I go, I think that's for you. And he had no grid for that whatsoever. And he said, I've never received a gift in my entire life. And so as a result, here's this gift. It's sitting there for him with his name on it, and he walks right by it. How many of us in the church of Jesus Christ are doing the same? And so here I am pointing to it saying, this is yours. He opened it up. Quite a story just in and of itself, but uh, it was a deep part of my life as far as the the progression of being obedient and giving up uh, significant things. But today I want to tie it into a very key aspect to the message uh, today, and that is when we talk about the Word of God, we have the big understanding of that which is written. And when I say it is written, that means something to us. And you think of either tablets of stone or you think of parchment and paper. uh, And you think of ink on something in this natural realm. And it's a very dead idea of it is written. And yet what we see is that Jesus seems to want to take that which is written and put it in here. There's a gift, and I think most of us would recognize that God has given us a good gift in Jesus Christ, and most of us would acknowledge that, but most of us have not actually seen our name on that to the level that God wants us to see it. And so we walk right by so much of that gift, and we're like, yeah, but, you know, do you know someone named Eric? Well, I can't think of anyone just right off the top of my head. It's like, could it be that it's for you? Who is this gift for? And so today we're going to unwrap a gift Something that God has given us in this package known as Jesus Christ are weapons that we've been given to actually accomplish and live in this world that which we've been called to do. Yet most of us have never actually unwrapped it, knowing that it's for us. We know the gift is there. In fact, you could probably quote the entire message I'm going to give you. There's nothing new about it. You've seen gifts given. You know that people open gifts, but have you received this gift? Do you see your name on it? And so I was talking to the practicum students about the fact that there seems to be the global understanding of the Word of God, the logos, the the big uh, idea of the revelation of Jesus Christ in and through the text of Scripture. But then there's the personalization of the Word of God, just as Mary uh, says, be it unto me according to thy word. And what what takes place in her is the life of Jesus forms. And the word for word there is a different Greek word. And there seems to be a need for that Greek to actually enter into the personalized level in our life where it actually conceives and it brings to life these realities. Instead of us just esteeming them with our mind, we are changed by them in our inner man. It is written. Understand the basics of spiritual authority. So let's go through some basics. You have an enemy. This enemy is actively seeking to destroy you. You are in a very real war, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. You are weaker than this enemy in and of yourself. Boy, that's, that's some really encouraging data there. That's why we need to keep going, because the, the bad news is what causes the good news to prosper. In other words, we don't understand good news unless we full, first of all understand we're in hostile territory. The devil wants to take you out. The moment you believe in Jesus, I mean, you're entering into even a greater degree of the battle. So it's like, why would I do that? Well, because there's actually a truth that needs to layer on top of this. 
Yet in Christ you have power over this enemy. In Christ you need not fear this enemy. And in Christ you have God-given weapons that utterly humiliate this enemy. One of my mental pictures that I've given to students over the years is there's a wolf pack and you're likened to a sheep. And if you were to be a betting person and you were to bet on either the wolf pack or the sheep, I don't know which one you would bet on, I would bet in the natural sense all of us should lay and wager our money on uh, the wolf pack. However, enter another party known as the shepherd. Now you have the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and you, the sheep, now let's bet. And you could say, well, tell me more about the shepherd. So I start telling you that he's God incarnate. He's literally the one who created the heavens and the earth and he's come in a body and he has already defeated that wolf pack even before you've arrived on the scene. Now, who are you gonna lay your wager on? In other words, everything in Scripture testifies to the fact that when you have the good shepherd, those wolves no longer have power over you. Yes, in the natural realm, they are more powerful than you, and you need to recognize that. That is actually very, very important for battle, to recognize your weakness, but to not finish with an understanding just of your weakness. To get a PhD in your weakness doesn't actually solve your riddles, but to get a PhD in his strength in light of your weakness, is where the world is changed. Let's understand our most elementary weapon. So we're going to call it the Word of God. Now, I could have said something like prayer. And I'm going to try and handle the idea of prayer somewhat delicately today, because when we start dealing with weapons, what are weapons for? For the enemy. You don't wield weapons against God. Does that make sense? And so when we talk about prayer, and we understand prayer, and this is why there's some delicacy in this, we pray to God. We don't pray to the devil. You see the difference between that? In other words, I'm not going to tell you to go out and pray to the devil. And yet, in utilizing our weapons, we need to address the devil. So what are we doing when we do that? Are we praying? That's why it's, it's delicate. It's like, I'm not going to encourage you to pray to the devil but I do need you to know that you have a weapon to take out that devil. And so whatever we're going to call that, I'm just going to call it the word of God. And so as a result, this is a weapon that we have. Now, a lot of people misuse the word of God, and they call it a weapon. In other words, they hit people over the head with it and condemn people with it and make them miserable with it. That's not what I'm talking about. When you are a shepherd... You have to learn to be dexterous in knowing how to wield your rod to harm the wolves and yet to comfort your sheep. You see, as a father and as a husband, I have to be a protector in one side of my life from anything that would infringe or harm my wife and my kids. At the same time, I can't wield that that same strength against them. I need to learn how to comfort them. Two different sides of my same actions. I'm still a husband, but a husband has to be strong towards an enemy and has to be soft towards his wife. He has to be strong against what comes against his children and yet soft towards his children. He needs to be strong against the disobedience in his children, but soft with his children. In other words, you need to know in every situation how to pick out the enemy and to hit him and how to guard and protect that which Jesus laid down his life for. And that that balance is very significant when you understand war. You don't shoot your fellow soldier, yet you've been given a weapon. What are you supposed to do with it? Well, you better know what to do with it. 
That weapon is to take out an enemy, not to take out your friends, not to take out the body of Christ. So Matthew 4, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So many of us have heard this story. I am going to give you a very brief version of this story. In other words, I'm not teaching on this story. I'm merely showing you something in the story. But this is a very, very significant thing. There's a lot of uh, key things in understanding even the ministry of Christ, the significance of him being the Messiah in this. We're not going to go into all that. I just want to show you one very particular thing. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. That's an understatement. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, now you'll notice that I didn't show you what the tempter said, and I'll do that a few times. Everything that the tempter's gonna say and everything Jesus is gonna say back, that's actually not what I'm focused on. I know, it's like, how could you take out that? Because I'm wanting you to focus on something. So the tempter comes and says something. Now that's not gonna, when the tempter comes to you, he's not gonna give you a direct quote from Matthew 4. He's gonna share something very specific for you to tempt you. And that's why you're going to see me. I'm going to lift this out, and I'm going to say, the tempter came to him, and he said, but Jesus answered and said. What does he say? It is written. Jesus responds to what the tempter brings with something. It is written. Boom! Hits him. Then the devil said to him, boom. Jesus said to him, it is written. Again, the devil said to him, huh. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written. You see this? See, I'm showing you something. If Jesus is going to wield this in this natural realm, I think we should take notes. Then the devil left him. Boy, a lot of us are dreaming of that final line there. You see, many of us are stuck in the midst of the battle. The amount of battle that uh, this church is currently engaged in may shock you. Uh, just those close to me on the staff would probably acknowledge this has been one of the most intensive seasons of spiritual attack on us that we've ever gone through. And yet, if you were to measure it on the outside, there's nothing really that extreme happening. You know, I've, we've had extreme things happen to us where it's more obvious that the devil's attacking, but sometimes it's that he's trying to isolate you and just barrage you. And so you feel alone in it, and yet when you compare notes with someone next to you, you're like, I'm getting the same thing. You begin to realize it's all-out war on the church at Ellerslie. And as a result, we oftentimes feel isolated instead of standing together to fight. This is a stand-together message. In other words, it's like, hey, guys, you're not the only one. I want to show you your weapons, and I want us to practice using them. The word of God is a weapon. Now, that could be misinterpreted. Could you just imagine how the liberals would take that? It's like, yeah, that's uh, submit woman. It says here, it is written, submit. You know, And that's, that's like a misuse and an abuse of scripture to get your own selfish agenda across. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking not about using the word of God to harm people or to control people, but to actually impact people the kingdom of darkness, and to hinder that which is assigned against us and to stop its ability to work. So when you hear it is written, you're thinking text of Scripture, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what Jesus is wielding. He's actually wielding that which was canonized, that which was deemed the word of God in text. We as Christians actually are able to expand that, and we wield what is written. But it's written in three different ways. I always say the word of God in three forms. 
The word of God in text, the word of God in person, and the word of God in action. That's where we put our faith as believers. So it is written, the scripture, it is fulfilled, Jesus Christ. Everything is solved, the entire old covenant, all the promises, the seed promises, the Messiah is coming, it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He has done it. It is finished, the cross and the shed blood. So you'll notice, if you study mature Christians, you're going to notice them referring to those three things a lot. What it says in Scripture, who fulfilled the Scripture and his authority, and what he did on that cross very specifically is what defeated our enemy. And so when we wield our weapons, hey, there they are. That's our weapon. That's our sword right there. It's not just text. It's not just the fact that, oh, we know that there's a gift on the counter. It's that that gift has our name on it, and God has handed us authority. We don't just think, oh, Jesus has authority. Yeah, he crushed the head of the serpent. We recognize that we have access to that very same moxie, that very same triumph of the cross in our very own lives. Victor Marx, a guy who knows how to fluster an enemy. So I don't even know how to describe Victor Marx, but uh, the guy... He's known worldwide as having the fastest gun disarm, uh, you know, the, the record, the Guinness record for the fastest gun disarm. What a strange thing to be known for. It's like someone holds a gun to his head, and he can get it out of their hand and aim it back at them faster than anyone in the world. And it's a strange thing to be known for. Uh, but this guy is a master martial artist. He's just sort of a, a weapon, uh, and he can destroy basically anything. He looks rather harmless, you know, when you see him, and he's just sort of a lazy Cajun uh, in how he goes about talking. And then someone comes up on stage to, to demonstrate something. So he usually has this guy named Jeff who comes up, and Jeff is a, uh, a world champion martial artist, even currently. Like he's, I think he was national champion or world champion last year. And so he comes up, and he's just the demonstration guy. So Victor's just sort of standing there. He doesn't look that... Uh, you know, dangerous, and this other guy comes up, he's just sort of packed with muscle, and uh, so Jeff comes against him, and in a matter of seconds, Victor has him completely disabled, and the guy's like, you know, saying, mercy, 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 and it's very fascinating to watch, but his whole point in, in showing that is to show that when you know your enemy's weaknesses, you can take him down. When you don't know your enemy's weaknesses, you run. Because this is a tough guy coming at you. I mean, look at this guy. This is a world champion coming at you. But when you know that all you need to do is go, kink, and he takes like some part of his finger, and immediately Jeff goes down to his, his knees in pain. And you're thinking, what was that? How did he do that? He said, well, you need to know your enemy's weaknesses. And when you know that those that are coming against you to harm you, when you understand where their weakness is, well, then you can play that. And that's your strength. So uh, I'm going to use the word fluster and bluster. One of the things I'm really impressed with, uh, with Victor, Victor is a tough one for the enemy to know how to deal with. First of all, he's, he's built to uh, tackle the enemy. He can train you in all sorts of kill techniques. And it's like, oh, I don't know that I really want that. And yet he's over in Mosul, Iraq. That's where he's been living with his family. And he's on ISIS's most wanted list. And he's ministering to those that ISIS is harming. And so you'd think, who would, who would Victor hate more than anyone? ISIS. And yet, you know what he's over there doing? He says, they need the gospel too. 
there's this picture that he sent to me that had such an impact on me. And it, right underneath it, when he texted it to me, he says, do not share. I was like, what? I, I would show it to you. Otherwise, I, I, I'd be violating something. But I'll describe the picture to you. It's, <laughs> it's him in a prison cell with an ISIS commander. And one of the pictures, he's pouring cold water down the guy's throat. And the other one, he has his hand on him. And he's ministering. He actually shared the gospel with this guy. And I'm saying, now that's how you fluster the enemy. That's a weapon against ISIS. It's called love. You see, the enemy doesn't quite know what to do with us Christians. All of Iraq is having a tough time knowing what to do with Victor Marx. You should see the amount of television crews that want to ask him questions. What are you doing here? Uh, Well, I love Jesus Christ, and as a result, I love you guys. But we're Muslims, and you're a Christian. I know, and Jesus loves you. I mean, it's just truly remarkable. He's wanted. I mean, his life is in danger, and where does he go? He goes right square into the middle of it. And so whatever that is, I want you to hold on to it as a kernel of understanding that we are in hostile territory. Most of us are not drawn to Mosul, Iraq. I don't know about you, but that's not necessarily a spot that I'm thinking, you know what, that'd be a fun vacation spot for my, for my family. You know, I, I do think about fun spots we can go, and that's never come into my mind. Now I'm preaching, I'm like, oh, great, God, going to bring that one up. Uh, and, and yet, there's something so attractive about his mentality to say, well, where, where is God going in this earth? Where's the heart of God beating? God cares about these people. You know, one of his perspectives on Islam, which is fascinating to hear, it's like hard for us as American Christians to even wrap our mind around some of these things. He says, most of these people, they've never even heard of another way to serve God and to adore Jesus. And so some of these guys, this is the best way they know, and they give their life to Allah. And he says, you have to be impressed. They're serving God the best way they know. So it's like, how do you, how do you appropriate that? They need Jesus. And he wouldn't argue that. He was praying with this ISIS commander, and the guy, he leads him in a prayer uh, to to believe, like what he would call the sinner's prayer. And the very end was in the name of Jesus. Uh, and the guy says, we would not pray that. Uh, well, and then uh, Victor in his uh, Cajun accent, eh, it's kind of a deal breaker. Uh, and in other words, for him, it's like it's Jesus or nothing. At the same time, he recognizes that these people have never heard truth. And to the best degree, they're trying to serve their God. And so he has a compassion and an empathy, and not the hatred that oftentimes we in the West carry. Well, you want to fluster an enemy, you start wielding the weapons that we've been given. You see, the weapons we have are not just machine gun fire. We have weapons that seem very weak to the world. Rejoicing in suffering, obedience unto death, loving your enemy. These are weapons, you better believe it, and they devastate the camp of the enemy. So the bluster of the enemy, do you know his weak points? He's got them, starting with the fact that he is defeated. Boy, he doesn't want you to know that one. Now, many of you know it intellectually, but do you know it practically? The enemy actually has no authority. I use the illustration all the time of the the slave owner and the slave. The slave owner had a legal right to that slave. Remember early American history? And so whose property is it? Well, it's the slave owners. And it was backed by the government. Not necessarily the healthiest model. Yes, we may all agree, but that's the facts. 
And then we have something called the Emancipation Proclamation, where the government shifted its law on that exact point and set that slave free. Now, what if the slave is never told that it's free? How's he going to continue to live? He's going to continue to live in bondage. So what does that slave need to hear? Hey, buddy, you can leave the plantation. You're no longer under his mastery, but you can still fear the retaliation. You know what would happen to slaves that tried to run back in early America? I mean, they'd cut off ears. They'd cut off noses. They'd cut off toes. Hey, I don't want that to happen to me. And that's what the devil will continue to tell you. If you try and run from me, you know what happens, right? Hey, you know, you know, I'll get you. And so as a result, we continue to be subservient instead of recognizing, wait a minute, I have legal authority to come out from under his rulership. Not just that, I have authority to put him under my heel. I mean, that, that's like a whole other realm. Arming every Christian with the weapons. We shouldn't be the ones being pushed around. For whatever reason, we are very weak in understanding how to wield our authority. And there's part of the reason, I would say, has to do with certain denominations in Christianity really specialize in making a lot of noise uh, spiritually and howling at the devil and casting them out and doing, doing various things. And if any of you ever have had the thought that they're weird, right? Okay, we got some weird people over here, which may be true, right? They could be weird. Then you have a tendency to back up to the opposite, which is, oh, we never deal with that. And as a result, the devil can get away with all sorts of nonsense in our midst because we have officially classified dealing with spiritual warfare as weird. When in actuality, it's fact. You're dealing with it one way or the other. He's, either he's defeating you or you're utilizing the weapons that you have to deal with him. And most of us have never been equipped. We know vague things, but we don't understand how to keep the house. And so the devil is constantly coming against us and playing upon either our desire to not engage and to not do anything, or what we could call our reticence or our passivity, or he's playing against our ignorance. And as a result, one way or the other, we're getting hit and hindered quite a bit. Uh, what if you were to take your current situation and give a quick evaluation point and say, do you think that the devil could be messing with you right now? Okay, now you don't need to answer out loud. You go, he is, he's, he's messing with me. But just ponder that for a second, okay? I could say without even hesitation, oh yeah, he's messing with me. For about eight straight months, I have gotten up every morning to pray. I do the same thing every day. And every day I wake up and I choose to give my life to Jesus afresh and I ratify the fact that I am in Christ and that my body belongs to him and he can do with it whatever he sees fit. And every day, I've had a downward push on my life. It's like an oppression. And I, you know, grit my spiritual teeth, and I go out into my prayer time, and the whole while, it's a downward pressure. I have so many voices speaking at me saying, give up, give up, give up. No one wants to hear this. All these, all sorts of accusations. I mean, it just, I'm sure you could recognize a lot of them. However, I'm defying it. But you know how hard it is to defy something like that? 
It takes so much more energy to defy and to resist something than it does to accept it. And as a result, most of us wear down because we don't understand the spiritual nature of the battle. And so we just accept it and we just go into fetal position instead of into battle position. And sometimes, and I, the reason I can go through eight straight months of extreme difficulty like that is because I've gone through this multiple times before. Oh, I know what this is. I had a voice, what I always call the voice of diminishment, right before Ellerslie started. It was three straight years, nonstop. In fact, I got so used to it that I didn't hear it. It was just nonstop. I say, eh, 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 eh. Water off a duck's back. Nope, nope, not listening, not listening, not listening. But it took me a long time to get to that point. That now, that voice literally has no stickiness to me. It's like, I know it. I know that voice so well. And so when you resist, it's like going into the weight room every day. When you're going through these difficulties and you resist, you're getting stronger. The devil has to be on guard. Because when he actually keeps pressing and you keep resisting, he turns you into Hercules. And that's the risk he has to take. The reason he keeps playing you is he thinks he can break you. And so he, he's a betting guy. He's wagering, you know, with his demons over here going, I think we can get him. I think we can get him. Do you think? You think we can keep pressing and get him? I think, I think he's resisting. I think start pulling. Pull back, guys. Pull back. He's getting too strong out of this. In other words, the devil thinks he can either discourage you or he can quiet your faith. He can lessen your fire. He's, his, his subtle strategies are very significant because he knows that if he can take the edge off your seriousness and your faith, sometimes that's all he's after. He's like, he'll risk a lot just to take the edge off, to recognize, yeah, you want to live seriously for Jesus? You're going to have constant harassment. That's what he wants you to be thinking. I don't want that. I don't want that. I'm just going to, I'm going to come in at this level instead of this level. He's gotten so many Christians over the years to settle for a semi-intense version of living instead of the intense version, the real version. We know the real version. Many of us know it in our head, but we choose this one on purpose. Why? Because the devil gets noisy when we get up here. Well, how about you get noisy? How about you rise up and be a pain in his neck? That's how we live as Christians. Instead of thinking about the fact that, oh, he's just so noisy. That's what he should be saying about you. Oh, this Christian won't shut up. He knows too much. He's wielding all the weapons. How can we stop him? I don't know. We don't have anything to fight with against that. That's right. (laughs) The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. So I said our chief weapon, the word of God, and yet this has plural weapons. I remember one of the students at Allersley said, okay, now I know you keep referring to 2 Corinthians 10, 4, but what are the weapons? I mean, it's one thing to say, we have weapons. Yeah, we have weapons. Well, if I don't know what they are, it's sort of hard to use them. That's a really good point. In other words, discipleship has to teach you what those weapons are. You actually have that which you need to engage the enemy. And so I'm going to go through at least a brief sort of Uh, elementary school sketch of some of these weapons. So we supposedly have weapons. What are these weapons? To understand weaponry, you first need to understand position. So unless you understand position in the Christian life, you're not yet ready to understand weapons because you really don't have access to them. So what's your position? In 
If you're in Christ by faith, then you share in his death and you identify in his cross work. And so when he died, your first life, your old man, dies. And when, by faith, you enter into Christ, you also share in his burial, but also in his resurrection. And when he rises to newness of life, so do you. And you have a new life in Christ. It's called a new man, a new creature. And then when he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he doesn't leave you behind, but he takes you with him. You are in him. And so when you begin to understand position, first of all, you need to know his position. We know he was victorious at the cross. We know he was victorious over the grave. And we know he sits enthroned at the right hand of majesty on high. But how does that affect you? Have you ever seen the package with your name on it? Myron, Eric, Preston, Matt. Your name, right there. He says, no, this is for you. This is for you. So Ephesians 1 would be big global text of scripture, the revelation of Jesus, who he is. He, the Father, seated him, Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Yea, Jesus, he's done it. He's in that seated position. How does that affect you? In other words, if we don't get this personalized to us, if we don't see our name on this somehow, eh, what does it really matter if Jesus is in that high-seated position? That's where he was before he came in the first place. What's the big deal? Because the second go-around, he's taken you with him. The reason he came here was not to come back empty-handed. The word of God does not return empty-handed. He came to this earth to gain you, to take you with him. If he just wanted to live in this high and holy place all by himself, he could have just sent us all to our just condemnation. But because he so loved us, he came. And he has rescued us. And now he takes us back to this place. And that's what it says in Ephesians 2. His position is our position. And all things are under his feet. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what's your position? In Christ. That means you're sitting together in heavenly places with him. Where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father and all things are under his feet. How did you get there? By faith. By faith in his word. You believed him. You believe that his work is sufficient for you. And when you put your confidence in him, he clothed you in himself. And he brought you on this journey known as the way to the Father. And you have been brought to a place that you have no business being in your own merit. But it's his merit that has brought you there. It's his reward. And he is sharing it with you. It's an amazing thought. So when we pray, I remember teaching Hudson uh, this. We were uh, having one of our early morning prayer times and I was teaching him what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. So to teach how to pray in the name of Jesus, which is the name above all names, by the way, it's the name with all authority. It has power over all things. There is nothing that can defy the name of Jesus. So I was teaching him about position. That's that's how you teach it. If I'm going to teach you the name of Jesus and how to pray in the name of Jesus, well, you need to know where that name is accessed. It's accessed by faith in Christ. 
And so when he ascends to the right hand of the Father, we're there. Where are we seated? In heavenly places in Christ. And there's the Father. And Jesus says, ask the Father in my name. Ask the Father in my name. I just described prayer to you right there. That's what prayer is. It's asking the Father in Jesus Christ, in his name, in his work, in his accomplishment, in his authority, in the authority of this name, in my position in Christ. Father, can you do this? And he says, the answer is already yes and amen in Christ. Whoa, that's amazing. And I remember hearing Hudson's first prayer. I think his first prayer was for uh, church that Sunday morning that daddy's sermon would change lives. I think that's, that's what it was. So it's for you guys. His first prayer in Christ at the right hand of the Father, understanding his authoritative seat to recognize that he can pray with authority. Acts 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer. This is in Philippi. Sort of an odd story, I recognize. Like, what is Eric sticking this in here for? Now it happened as we went to prayer, Luke writing, talking about the journeys of Paul, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. We're guessing that she was likely mocking, okay? Because it sounds like, wow, she's preaching the gospel. And this she did for many days. This is one of my favorite lines. This is great. But Paul, greatly annoyed... Isn't it good to know that Paul gets annoyed? <laughs> but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit. So for those people that say you're not supposed to like talk to the devil or to spirits, well, that's not totally true. The issue is prayer. And so we don't pray to demons, devils, and spirits. However, all throughout scripture, we see spirits being directly addressed, which is why it's a little awkward for us to know how to deal with these things. Turn and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Okay, that happened. What do we do with that? And how do we appropriate that? Or are we supposed to? That's just descriptive. It doesn't give a prescription to say, and you remember what Paul did? You do that to every spirit you encounter too. In other words, how do we, how do we deal with this? These are the awkward things that we navigate through. What do we have authority to do? And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, says it twice. Obviously, those that are following Jesus, that are believers in Jesus, that are his disciples soon to become apostles, that are the pattern creators for the entire church of Jesus Christ, are given something here. They are given an authority to do what? Something that sounds rather weird, and especially if you grew up in certain camps of Christianity, and this could trigger all sorts of feelings and emotions for you. Binding and loosing. It just sounds like you're doing weird stuff. Binding and loosing. You know, could you give me more normal, sensible-sounding words? Here's what I want to do. I want to define for you what this is. We're just going to go back to the Greek so you can get your weirdness out of the way and we can understand what this is. 
bind. It's the word deo. See, if I said, oh, let's do some deoing, that sounds at least a little better. I could do that. I, I don't know that I want to bind, but I, I do want to do some deoing. It simply means to fasten, to tie, to lock in chains, to forbid, to prohibit. Very simply put for our English sensibilities, to arrest the enemy's plans. You, by the law of the land, are now under arrest. Stick handcuffs on them and lead them away. You are not welcome here. What you are doing is not allowed on these premises. And so you read them the Miranda rights and you issue them a citation or put them in handcuffs and walk them off the premises. Bind them. That's what it means. So very simply put, we have authority to lock up that which is attempting to hinder the work of Jesus Christ. And this seems to be directed more towards the personalities themselves. Whatever's coming in, hey, hey, what are you doing on this property? That's trespassing. Get out. In other words, to actually arrest forward movement, to bind it, it's like hogtie. In my prayers, I usually use the word hogtie. Just because it, it sounds somewhat demeaning to the devil at the same time. And I, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful, you know, dealing with these other, you know, powers. But hogtie just sort of says it. I can sneak in the word hog and tie at the same time. Loose. Lyle. See, loose is probably one of the most uncomfortable words for us to deal with spiritually. If you've ever heard someone say, I just loose this. Uh, I don't know if anyone else is impacted by that, but it feels out of control. Like, what are we loosing? Hey, let's make sure we think this through. I don't know what we're loosing. It's like you're setting like this cage open of this wild beast. It's like, whoa, did we loose the right thing? How do we know what to loose? And so in this idea of loosing, let, let me give you the, the Greek understanding. To unfasten or untie, to break up that which is compacted, to dissolve, to dismiss, to do away with, to destroy the enemy's long-held strongholds. So binding seems to deal with a personal affront or a personality that needs to be arrested. This one seems to unlock that which is hindered. Like imagine that you have a river and a beaver creates a dam. So what do you need to do? All the water isn't getting through. we got some kind of damming up going on. You have the authority to break down that dam so that the grace comes in. That river can flow. You see, one seems to be against a personality, whereas the other one seems to unlock and release that which God is intending to do, but seems hindered because the devil's involved. The devil's involved, and as a result, what God is intending to do in our life seems damned up. It's not getting through. It's not happening. And so as a result, you have the authority to bind that which is building the dam, and then to break down the dam. Does that make sense? The story of the fun guys. I shared this multiple years ago, but uh, I don't know if you, any of you remember it. It's sort of an obscure story, but it means a lot to me. This is, at the same time, I was really struggling with the ideas of binding and loosing too, because of my sensibilities. I have spiritual sensibilities. I've been around the body of Christ. And as a result, it's like, God, I, can you give me a different way of doing it? Uh, I just don't, binding and loosing, ah. And so in this dream, we, we had, in real life, we had released a certain book and our publicity agent had sent it, uh, the marketing material, to all these secular outlets that just, they just wanted to mock us. That's all they wanted to do. I was not very happy with our publicity department. They were like, no, we, you know, we want to spread the word of God into the unreached territories. Yeah, but this is like giving pearls to swine, okay? There's a difference between that. And so 
they were, this one group called the Fun Guys, uh, we were, uh, they were a podcast or internet radio. They, we were told that they were radio. We were told that they were over all of California. And our, our publicity agent said, this is a really good uh, situation. So Leslie and I agreed to it. We always had trusted our publicity department. This was a new publicity department, and we immediately stopped trusting them after this situation. But uh, we got on the phone, and they acted all serious about it. And the whole thing was to mock us. And so they built up this, this case and then actually began to speak towards Leslie very specifically with such profanity and just grotesque lewdness. I said, Leslie, get off the phone. And then I gave him a piece of my mind. I was annoyed, greatly annoyed. <laughs> and it was the worst decision I could have done because that's what they wanted. They wanted to get a reaction and then they acted, they, they'd call from all sorts of different parts of the, the country with different phone numbers. And that one came in from Michigan and they said, ah, yeah, we're a Christian radio station. We just had a cancellation. I heard about you guys. I was just wondering, could you just come on now? Just spur the moment and come on the show? And so I was like, yeah, I, I guess I could. And so they start talking to me. Now, on our show, we don't really want anything that would at all hint towards, you know, we're a very conservative audience. We don't want anything, you know, impure to be said. It's like, hey, well, that's no problem. I'm not going to say anything like that. Okay, good, good. Because I just want to make sure we're guarded and very, very protective. I'm like, okay. And then we start, and it's a whole setup. And then at a certain point, they just start filth coming out of their mouth. And it was just to see my reaction. So the violation that I had, I mean, the, uh, this was, and th- this happened five times or so. And of course, I, I would just say, no, thank you. You'll notice if you ever call me and I don't know the number, I will not answer. It all stems back to the fun guys. I do not answer numbers that I don't know. Just, nope, nope, not doing it. You leave a message if you want. But all of that stems back to the fun guys. And so I have a dream. And in this dream, I'm down in the kitchen and suddenly the lights go off in the kitchen. It's a power outage. And I hear this, and it's like fear overtakes me all of a sudden. It's just like, like I'm being attacked, like I'm surrounded. And then I hear the cackle from the fun guys. That one laugh that I'd become acquainted with uh, in this time. Just the mocking, uh, derisive laugh. And in that moment of just fear and feeling like they had invaded my own home. They're in my home now. And they're literally around the corner. I know they're in this house. In that, I rise up and it's like, they have no right to be in this home. And so I went towards, I was feeling down the hall to find the, uh, what do you call that box where the electrical stuff is? I can't even think of what it's called. The breaker box. And I go to the breaker box and I click it and the light comes back on. And I instinctively know where they're at. So it's like I had to get, the darkness was trying to overcome me and bring fear. Instead, I turn on the light and I can see and I know exactly where they're at. They're behind the door to the laundry room. And so I pin them to the door. And they're like, hey, hey, hey. I pin them to the door. And then with one movement, I reach out and I grab them, two guys with one arm. (laughs) And I go, you guys are not welcome here. And I carry them out to the front lawn. I had superhuman strength. I went from being weak to suddenly carrying out two fun guys and literally setting them down. I called the police and they were done for. Caught trespassing. It was a very, it was one of those dreams that when you wake up from it, you're like, yeah. <laughs> I've only had a few of those. I had another dream where I was a wrestling champion for whatever reason. I was a re- and, 
everyone that came onto the mat is like, and they're down. And I'm just like pinning them all over the place. Big, huge guys. Like, I could, I'm unstoppable. <laughs> but that doesn't happen every night. This was just one where I recognized the authority that I had to protect my home. And once I tasted it, God sort of went, that, that. It's strength beyond what you have, Eric. In and of yourself, you're weak and you're scared. And this enemy seems more powerful. But in my authority, they are actually defeated. Prove it. Carry them out of the house. So are we ready for battle? Let us check our war chest. Praying, which I don't even know that I want to call it praying. I don't know what to call it. That's just our term for it. In other words, it's enunciating and speaking forth into the spiritual realm that which is true. Okay, it could be confessing, could be commanding, but right now I have that word, but I, I'm hesitant to have it there. Exerting authority in the name of Jesus Christ by faith in and through prayer. Binding, tying down, prohibiting movement, arresting. Loosing, breaking down hindrances, busting through obstacles, unblocking the river. The spirit war. We do not war after the flesh. We do war. This idea that people have, I remember this one uh, well-known author today says, I'm so sick and tired of the war metaphor being used by Christians. People are always talking about war. Well, uh, buddy, it's not a metaphor. It's a fact. We're in a war, whether we like it or not. I don't really care what your sensibilities are. I'm not happy about it either. It's not like I'm like, yeah, all right, good. We're at, we're at war. I, I just want heaven. Okay, I want the place where there is no more of that. However, right now, this is my assignment. I'm in the midst of a battle, but I've been given the equipment to win it. Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. What's your position? You see, that's the armor. The armor is a person. It is an impenetrable barrier. Sin was unable to penetrate that barrier when he was here on this earth. And that's where you find your life now. You are given weaponry. The shield of faith literally repels all the fiery darts of the evil one. When you stand in faith in Christ, there is nothing that can actually penetrate through. When you understand that you are given a soldier's weaponry for the battle, well, there's no fear, especially when you recognize, whoa, this is like unstoppable stuff, impenetrable, immovable material. So expanding our spiritual vocabulary for war. I'm going to add five more terms to our prayer life. There's actually quite a few more in Scripture, but I'm just going to give you some basics. This this is like the elementary school uh, version of it. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So resisting the devil, resist. It's an actual operation of the spiritual life that we must engage in. And one of the things I said at the beginning of this message is it takes far more energy to resist than to just allow the devil in. The devil moves against your life, and it's a lot easier just to go into fetal position and say, just do what you need to do, instead of standing up and being firm. To resist is the word antistomy, to set oneself against, to withstand, to resist, to oppose, to literally determine, no, you go no further. Of course, I have a a mental picture of 
Lord of the Rings. You shall not pass. That's resist. I'm not trying to promote a movie. It just happens to probably be the best illustration ever of resisting. And it's a pretty bad dude uh, that was trying to pass. You draw a line and you oppose it. I don't care if you're a sheep. You stare at the wolves and you say, no further. And they say, by what authority? In the name of Jesus. Oh. A little sheep can scare off a whole wolf pack. In the name of Jesus. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not human, they're not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So the second term is wrestling against rulers of the darkness of this world. Pale means wrestling. It's literally the, the actual Greek term, a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other and which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. We have been given the strength. I know what we're wrestling against is quite daunting if you were to stare at you against them. But you wrestle in Christ. In other words, when you engage the devil, you don't do it in your own name, in the name of Eric Ludi, in the power of Eric Ludi, in the, in the wherewithal of Eric Ludi, in the strength and moxie of Eric Ludi. Oh, no. I come in Christ, and that's what wins the battle. That's what wins the day, and that's what throws down the devil and pins him under the feet of Jesus. You are defeated. Three, the pulling down of strongholds. Pulling down, kathirio, to pull down, destroy Demolish. These are extremely strong words that, is, that are used in 2 Corinthians. I mean, extremely strong, very violent. We do not wield these weapons against God's children. We do not wield these weapons against ISIS. We wield these weapons against that which has already been judged at the cross. The principalities and spiritual powers that have already had their day and have been judged at the cross. That's what we wield our weaponry against. Casting down imaginations in every high thing. So to cast down. Akamalitazo. To lead away captive, to subjugate, to bring under control. Number five, having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. Ekdikio. To avenge a wrong, to vindicate and make right. So here's a starter package for our spiritual war vocabulary. In the name of Jesus, authoritative position, binding or arresting that which is harming, Loosing, clearing all roadblocks for God's purposes to be accomplished. Resisting, clearly setting yourself in the path of the enemy's advance and commanding him to retreat. Wrestling, yanking the spiritual powers down to the ground and pinning their powers. Pulling down, utterly destroying and tearing apart their operation, their plans and their schemes. Casting down, to drive away to prison, lock up, handcuff, to bring under the rule of the cross. And revenging, to exact, to tax the enemy for their unlawful invasion and to sue them for damages. I, I really like this last concept. Most of us have never thought about it, but what they've done is illegal, and we sue for damages. So it's like, okay, so devil, you have territory. You better pay up because we're bringing the law of God to bear upon your head. You are defeated, and that is unlawful. So therefore, I need to revenge all disobedience, and that's what it is, to revenge all disobedience. That's part of our weapons of warfare. Tax them. All right, 
We want some of your hostages released. Those of you that you, those that you have bound in darkness, yeah, we're going after them. You see, we don't take his guff. We take his prisoners. A practice prayer. Now, I don't even know that I'd call this a prayer. Okay, remember how I've used that term. But this is a practice exercise, a spiritual exercise of our authority. Now, this is just practice. Eric Ludi has a lot of work to do in understanding how these things work. Okay? I do wield these things in my own life. However, if you said, how well? I don't know that I wield them as well as I should. I feel kindergartenish, maybe first grade level in my exercise of these things. And it's probably because I haven't necessarily been surrounded my whole life with those that wielded them properly. I've been around a lot of people that wield them, but not necessarily in the way that I would say, that's, that's it. That's the model. That's the pattern that does it. Just making a lot of noise isn't actually what does it. There is actually a very specific pattern to how we fight our battles. So in the name of Jesus, I prohibit the spiritual powers assigned to me to hinder my family. I arrest them in the name of Jesus and legally declare that they are blocked from entry into my current circumstances. All of these blockades my enemies have constructed to hinder my forward progression, I tear down in the name of Jesus. These obstacles and blockages cannot persist, for in the name of Jesus I pull them down. Clothed in the Almighty Jesus and his work on the cross, I set myself against these spiritual powers. I submit myself to the care and control of Jesus Christ and oppose the work of the devil in my life. Therefore, devil, you must run with haste. I bring every lying spirit, haughty voice of darkness and philosophy of man to nothing. I silence them in the authority vested in Jesus Christ. I seize them and bring them under the truth of God's word and declare them powerless to work and powerless to rise back up from the dust. In the authority of Jesus Christ, I request legal vindication and recompense from the enemy's thievery, demanding that his kingdom, his supply, and his territory be taxed to pay back 100-fold that which he has unlawfully sought to steal from the saints of God. So that's a practice one. I'm not saying you should just get, you know, write a book called The Prayer of Eric, uh, you know, instead of The Prayer of Jabez and start selling it. It's just a practice exercise of the very truths that we went through. These are the things that I am exercising in my own home and in my own life. Terminology, your exact use of a translated word like binding and loosing isn't what matters. It's the concept for you to recognize that you have authority to do that, to accomplish this in the spiritual realm. It is written, so let's do a little more practice. I'm, here's the, what the project Leslie and I are currently working on. We're collecting an entire list of scriptures that we want our kids to all learn and that we all exercise as a family. And it is literally to speak the words of scripture. So when they learn these, they'll learn the actual full scriptures, okay? What you're gonna see is how I do it in real life when I'm walking around, okay? So I'm giving you two things. I actually think knowing the actual scripture is very important. However, when you speak it, speak it with your name on it. In other words, Myron has a gift there. It's not, not just, oh, gifts are given, but there's a gift with his name on it. You've been given these weapons. They're yours. So when you wield them, wield them personally. Like, this is true for me. It's not just true out there. It's true for me. And so that's the way I wield it. So I'm just going to show you this. You can do it any way you want to. You can just say the scriptures, and I know that that has power. I'm just saying this is how I have personalized it. 
When the devil boasts that he has me beaten and that his strength is superior, isn't it funny how much he boasts about that? Gotcha. Right where I want you. So what are you going to do? Uh, I will remember that it is written. All things are underneath the feet of my Redeemer. The Messiah has come and has crushed the head of the serpent and has declared it is finished. And if God is for me, who can stand against me? For greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. My spiritual weaponry is mighty, the pulling down of enemy strongholds. If I submit to God, resist the devil, the devil will flee. The shield of faith repels all the fiery darts of the evil one. He is my refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. For my God surrounds me with favors with a shield. And though a thousand may fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, it will not come near me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I have been given power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt me. My enemies may intend to harm me, but God means all things for good that he may deliver many. When the devil shouts of my defeat, my imminent shame, I'll remember that it is written. No one who hopes in him will be ashamed, and he has said he will never leave me nor forsake me. No grave trouble will overtake me. I will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. I will have an abundance for every good work. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He has said I am strong, and the word of God abides in me, and I have overcome the wicked one. He who spared not his own son will he not freely give me all things. He who has begun a work in me will bring it to completion." When the devil forecasts my doom and attempts to darken my vision of the future, I will remember that it is written. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers me out of them all. I shall be like a stream of water whose waters fail not. He knows the plans he has for me, plans to prosper and not harm. As I make the Lord my focus, I shall be like a tree planted by streams of water which bring forth its fruit in season. Its leaf also does not wither. Those who rise up against me will fall before me in judgment." It is written. But it's not just written in some dusty book called the Bible. It's meant to be written here on the tablets of our hearts so that it's our truth. It needs to go from being God's revelation preserved throughout the ages, 66 canonized books, to being a living epistle, to becoming your gift the weapons of our warfare that you personally have a hold of. Is it just in the word of God in text or is it in you? The truth has to traverse and make that journey from those heavenly realms into your very body. You have to believe it. You have to wield it. The devil wants to take down this body. No question. However, I want to be able to say he's picked a fight with the wrong troop of people. We need to know and not be ignorant of the enemy's devices. We know he wants to destroy us, but we know God wants to weaponize us. So let's go back to the cross of Jesus Christ and take freshly from his work that which we have been given which is necessary to live this life well. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com. E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E dot com. 
Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.